0: I apologize. My recorder stopped, and we had to put some uh, more batteries in. Okay, so we're talking about what Moshe Feinstein brings down. His opinion is that it would be appropriate to have the uh, to have. Uh, kiddush before and then make uh, kiddush before having milchiks and then afterwards you'll have fleshiks and that's what his his suggestion is but this is not a universal opinion and I want to share with you um, the article that he has that uh, Rabbi uh, Spitz has on this whole topic it's a separate article it's to bench or not to bench between milk and meat that is the question interesting title, uh, to bench and not to bench. So the, the question is, a, a real question, whether it's uh, uh, suf- it's sufficient to just separate by having milchiks and first, and uh, we're saying in the same meal, and then you wash your hands, you wash your mouth, you eat something in between, you, you uh, check the table, you, 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 everything is, you change the tablecloth, get different bread, everything different, and you continue your meal. And you have this in mind when you start the meal, it's all one meal, and you don't have any sick, you don't go anywhere, you don't wait an hour, nothing, go straight on. Well, that's what many people have, the minute, and I also do that, at that minute. In the days, uh, it, it, I remember that people brought me through from Moshe Feinstein and say, it said to me, well, why don't you do like Moshe Feinstein says, and I said, because that's what I saw in yeshivas. And my Rebbe, zatzal Rebbe Zimmerman that told me, Rabbi Yosef, continue to do what you were doing. In any event, it's an interesting question. In the, in the book that I'm looking at, uh, which is Food, Halachic Analysis by Rabbi Yehuda Spitz, uh, he says over here on page 28, he calls the benching bruhaha. It, it started really with the Mugan of Rum. The Mugan of Rum in Hilcheshfuvahs, in the Simon uh Simon Tuf Dalid Sif Vlov uh, over there uh, where there are more mentions about having the milk meal. So the Mugan of rum says the ain't the uh You don't have to bench in between the Milchiks and the Flesh meal if you're not eating hard cheese, because if you eat hard cheese, you've got to wait six hours, not to, not enough to just wait uh, a few minutes. So, But otherwise, there's nothing to do. The only thing he stresses is, take a different tablecloth. Which, of course, we mean we don't want any crumbs, and we don't have any, the bread shouldn't be the same, we have to make sure it's separate, but really, our minig is to have the two breads. One bread for the milchika meal, and then afterwards to eat, uh, after you have your milchiks to clean your mouth out you wash your hands, you eat something drink something uh, you change the tablecloth you have to use the other challah now we use fleschics. The same place, same time no sick, no waiting an hour no, nothing else not having uh, kiddush before and separating it between before the suda one suda, the whole thing and that's, that's what we do Again, there's two, there's two hugging, but we're discussing this whole topic. So, we're, so Rabbi Spitz mentions this muggin of rum, and it uh, seems, seems quite simple what he says, right? You know, that you don't have to worry about it as long as you, your hands are clean, your mouth is clean, you swallowed your food, you, you cleaned your mouth, you did this and that, you want to do, you brush your teeth, maybe on yomtev, but you could certainly floss if you want, or a toothpick or something, make sure everything's clean and you feel good. Okay. And anyway, with a kiddush, you still have to worry about it, because if you do a kiddush and then right away a sauda you're going to have the same problems that I have in, in the, in the uh, one meal. But this is not the universally accepted custom, with what I just met, said in the name of the of the, of, the, uh, uh, the mugen of Rum. There are other people who are all differently. For example, uh, we have the Knesset HaGadolah and the Schlaw. And they disagree strongly and they hold you must bench in between a a meal and a a meal. You can't have it all together. The bear Mayim Chaim even says that the Mogan of Rum's opinion of having it all in one meal is a printing error. and it's just that He goes that far as to say he can't believe that the Mogan of Rum actually said this. It must be a printing error and it, and it could not possibly be that you could have milk and fleshika in the same meal. And if anybody follows the Zohar... So it gets more exciting, and I suppose uh, many of the Hasidim one, I have to follow the Zohar in some of the details, but, or far to, uh, But the uh, Zohar says, you can't have milchiks and fleishiks b'sho'achada, in one hour. Which many people take to mean that you have to have an hour in between milchiks and having fleishiks. Well, so it's be very impractical, maybe to wait. But it, it, I technically, could do that in one meal too. Could have a, a break of a of an hour between eating the milkers and the fleshics. But Rabbi Spitz points out that uh, appropriately that since that waiting is a chumrah. So, uh, you know, uh, benching would be also appropriate. And uh, if you'd studied Toysbus, I'm not going to go into it now, but Toysbus, when he deals with the question of having flasheks, and then milkix says that you have to separate from the uh, flasheks completely and bench. So benching is like, and even if you ate the milkics right away, we don't do that. But even but those people who held, you don't need to have a hefzik of six hours, they had three hours, one hour, the old, min, old him had one hour and three hours, four hours, different, different him. So if you, you hold that, you don't have to wait the full six hours, but benching you always had to do. Benching was a requirement of Taisas. So if you're going to say there's a separation of time, then you probably hold, you have to bench too. So that's what, So the people who follow the Zohar would probably not have it in one meal. Again, so we have on one side we have the Mugen of Rome, and the other side we have these people who argue: with the Knesset, the Gadolah, the Shlur, Chaim, etc., etc. But it's not simple at all. First of all, first of all, the Mugen of Rome had a son-in-law. His name was Moshe Yakusiel Kaufman's Cohen. It's a lot of names, right? Moshe y- Yakusiel, and his last name was Kaufman Cohen, and he. Haskin exactly like his father-in-law. And he said that you, that you could do it in one meal, you don't have to bench. So if it was a mistake, presumably, if it was just a printer's error, presumably the family would know about it. Because, I mean, how, would, how could somebody come later on and tell me it was a printing error that somebody made when, when his own family goes the same way? All right, that's an interesting thing. In addition, the Orach shulchan and the Mishnah Brura, both paskin, like the mug of rum that you could have it in one meal. So that's pretty heavy halachic sources: the Aruch Hashulchan and the Mishnah Brewer. But there's a lot of other people who also who also speak about it. So I'm just going to mention a few names for those people who can appreciate these names: the lavush, the Mati Johansen, Marxes Hashekel, and the Shalts and Shubis Rivosh, They all are. Uh, they they all hold like the the of rum but on the other side you have a, a lot of people who disagree with the mugen of rum and uh for example shari Knesses Shiari kenes a um the shlo maim chaim which you mentioned already these people the pri Prima peres yakov Melio melioraba all, and Kitzah seem to be, Kapachayim seem to be saying that you have to have it in separate meals. But, uh, again, a lot of people, including the Chach seems to be going, Chach Masadim, Brewer, or HaShulchan, basic classics from the Pasuk and Shailos seem to say you can have it all in one meal. Interesting, in our time, the Chazanish, the Stipe Lagon, the Chayim Kaniyevsky, they all go with the they all go with the uh, uh with, the, with with the mug of rum that you can have in a one meal so it's up to your, whatever you. whatever you whatever you feel more confidence in uh this sheet or that sheet one thing I'll tell you is you're dealing with children be careful you've got to make sure that they telling them is not enough. You want to make sure that you go a little further and to make sure that, they are, that, they, that they've actually cleaned their teeth, their mouth, their, their, their hands, etc. And, you know, a person has to be careful. One of the reasons why they didn't want this idea of one meal, etc., is because we're afraid there may be some, some meat we get stuck on, the cheese we get stuck on the challah, and it ends up you'll have challah, milchiks and fleschiks together. So, of course, these are natural precautions, <laughs> that you have to take every time we eat milk because inflation, you have to separate them you, even if you had finished the meal and you waited uh, an hour or so, but still in all you'd have to separate the main thing that I think that we do we really have to be very careful about is the, is the cheese that you have to wait six hours for I don't plan to go into that now but obviously the uh, six hour cheese is is a, 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 major, a major problem there aren't too many cheeses that we have that are like that uh, some of them, some of them state on the package how long they've been aged, and uh, they say if anything that's aged more than three months or more, you get into a shaila that between the aging process to make the cheese, the uh, the the the, the, per, the one who uh, who bought the cheese from the cheese company and the, and distributes it. And the fact that it's in the the refrigerator of the uh, merchant and in your house for a certain amount of time, all that adds up. According to my Rebbe Zatzal, even though if the cheese is packaged, uh, it still could be considered to be aging in the packaging. I don't know about frozen. It can get a little bit interesting, but basically if we're talking about cheese, we're talking about something that's kept in refrigerated capacity. And... uh, our, our concern is that the aging process may still be going on even inside the packaging. Uh, it's, maybe there's different kinds of packaging, but when I see the packaging that I see, it could, it could definitely happen to a certain degree. Of course, the oxidation doesn't apply. Doesn't apply. You're right. It don't, doesn't oxidize. It doesn't dry out in the packaging that we have. But if the aging is going on, it probably is still going on inside there. And therefore, a concern of anything that's aged more than three months, creates a question about whether you have to wait the six hours. La Meisse, La Meisse, La Mice, you could be making many of the cheeses. We've done articles on it. There are, there are places they list these cheeses. The OU has articles, the, the, uh, the CRC has articles about it. Aside from Parmesan and a few others, uh, you know, Elemental, Swiss cheese, aside from these, there aren't so many. The OU has many. The OU has many, um, not as many in the Hamish varieties of cheeses, but in, the, in some of the cheeses that they have, yes, there are many cheeses that are six-hour cheeses. Interestingly enough, there's a shtickl hetter on the six hours that some people bring down, which is that if the cheese is cooked if it is uh, then it then it doesn't have the same din of the six hours. Rabbeleski Zatzal said that that doesn't work for pizza because. When it's on the pizza, it's separate. It's not mixed together. It would have to be something in which it becomes mixed with the food. It it cooks and mixes directly in the food. The way pizza works is the cheese raised raised on the top. And he felt you have to wait the six hours when you have any pizza that uses a cheese that is aged six months, even if um, it's even with the heter that that many rely upon of cooked cheeses. It doesn't apply unless it actually cooks into the food. So, this gives you a little bit of an idea. Uh, I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, again, about uh, the book that we have here. Uh, I'm not selling it, but I, I, I am uh, advising some people to buy the book. And I say some people, and I'll tell you what, The name of it's Safer again, Safer in Yunin Hamazon. That's the Hebrew title. There's nothing written in Hebrew inside. Um, maybe a line or two, but. Nothing, it's, all the text is in English. Uh, but the English title is Food, Halachic Analysis by Rabbi Yehuda Spitz. The, the book is a gold mine for anybody who would like to go past some things that I write in my magazine, things that you hear about. He goes so far into the topics, and he intertwines so many different people from different generations, and he spent so much time in each article, I can't even imagine how much research went in, he's constantly putting more and more into the footnotes, and uh, incorporating anything he could possibly, but it's all very interesting material. The reason I say it's for some people, not for everybody, is because I told him, I I figured this, you have to be a bentore, you have to be somebody who's learned he told me that some of the, he has women who read the book, who love it, and I, I say yes, but they, they really, these are people who have learned a lot of Yiddishkeit, they're, they're also interested in this kind of style that he has, which, is, uh, which, is, which is, uses a lot of uh, Hebrew phraseology, even though English letters, and uh, goes into the technical halachic areas, but very intriguing, Anyone who is interested in a good read, something you could pick up and read an article, put it away, read it again, another article, and always find new things in it. And uh, you see how he puts together a topic, and complete topic. I recommend strongly food, a halachic analysis by Rabbi Yehuda Spitz. Uh, since we have a little more time, you know, in the next few minutes we'll be sharing with you a very interesting lawsuit which ties into Kashrus in several ways. Uh, I will not tell you the name of the company and the name of the product simply because uh, it has kosher certification, and I don't want to comment uh, either way on uh, something of that nature, especially since it's a lawsuit. I certainly don't want to go there, but if you figure it out, Kolakavod. If not, it doesn't make much difference. The point is, it ties into our dairy product, uh, discussion. And it's a it's a cheese fraud lawsuit being brought against a federal lawsuit. It was being filed. It was filed in Wisconsin, which is the uh, cheese capital of the world, or at least uh, n- pretty major in this country. It's sometimes referred to... I can find the page here... Um, Oops. The America's Dairyland. That's what some people refer to Wisconsin. In any event, it's against a, a, a major cheese company and uh, for, for a product that's uh, a pizza type of thing. And it's a very interesting uh, qu- legal question over here. So this woman, um, she considers that the company is deceiving everybody. And I'll leave it to you to decide if you agree and uh, I don't know if the government or the, the law will agree, but we'll, we'll find out in the future, hopefully. Uh, but this is a question of cheese fraud. You see, the, the, com- the company makes a product, something like a pizza, and it's stamped with, the, with a seal that says real dairy. And it doesn't use anything that says about artificial flavors. It says kosher dairy, real mozzarella, And uh, the assumption is that their cheese and their sauce are real, but they don't contain anything real at all. It's all fake food. So let's listen to what happens over here. This is the case. uh, The quote uh, on what they were saying is, reasonable consumers understand that pizza refers to a combination of pizza sauce and wheat crust. And in the context of a pizza snack where crust is replaced with something else, so then consumers still expect the other two elements, mozzarella cheese and tomato sauce. That's what they assume. The argument also calls out this company for using ingredients that are clotting enzymes and coloring, and that the mozzarella is not real mozzarella at all, that they mention mozzarella on the product. The attorneys for the, uh, the producer have responded, and they say that the dairy product that they have is a cheese blend. And it does contain an amount of real mozzarella. But the plaintiff in this case says that it it doesn't mention blend of cheeses. It it, it says real mozzarella cheese, and it has added starch. None of this is on, on the label, the way the company is explaining it. That uh, is a very strong uh, statement, and uh, the company, you know, has to deal with it. This is not the first case against this company. There was a similar lawsuit that was filed in New York earlier this year, but was withdrawn. And this, uh, by the way, this is going to be a class action. So, if you know what I'm talking about, the name of the product, and if you happen to use it, so then you could get yourself into that. Uh, law case, and it be a make a million dollars or so, you know, whatever it comes out. In any event, um, this, this, this law challenge is very important to us as kosher consumers, and I'll explain to you why in a few minutes. But let's go into this thing about the cheese blend. This is a, uh, called the cheese blend, is, uh, it, 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 it's a little bit of a fake because there's no blend of cheese uh, if it's called real mozzarella cheese, and they added uh, starch, etc., so th- this is not really um, a cheese blend. It's not being sold as a cheese blend, and that's their their basic uh, challenge to the uh, to the company. Now, I found out the ingredients in the product, but first I want to read to you the ingredients, and then I'll then I'll share with you something else. These this is. Uh, I'm skipping some of the words just because I don't want to give away the name of the product. Uh, the, it, it, it mentions that it has enriched flour, wheat flour, enzyme, ascorbic acid, niacin. Okay, that's a, a bready kind of thing. Water, salt, sugar, as invert cane syrup. So you see that until they get to the milk, it's way down the road. Anyway, yeast, soybean. Now, here's the topping. This is the challenge, right? I'm reading to you the words from their actual package. I mean, they don't have the package. I got the information from, you know, uh, on the Internet, I was able to get the actual ingredients of the product. So they do mention in there cheese blend. But she feels, the lady who's suing the lawsuit, feels that that in big letters it says mozzarella cheese. So the assumption is that's what you're using. But they do mention cheese blend. And then here's what it says on the cheese blend. This is, a, like, uh, this is in, in brackets. Part skim mozzarella cheese, which is part skim milk, cheese cultures, okay, cheese cultures, salt and enzymes. And this is the cheese blend. Um, the skim mozzarella cheese, which is skim milk, cheese cultures, and enzymes. Okay, the question is, do you need all that in order to create the cheese? Well, okay, one question. And then uh, they have some skim milk mixed in, da-da-da-da-da. we will skip some of it here, but if you'll follow it along, uh, it mentions uh, some interesting ingredients, potassium chloride, ammonium chloride, uh, things like that, that uh, uh, methylcellulose, and mentions modified food starch. So the question is whether the people are really getting uh, anything that's called cheese. It's a legal issue. I'm not really enough, uh, you know, knowledgeable enough to be able to comment on it. So, so let me share with you something of a different nature, which uh, I I thought was very interesting. I think gives a little perspective to the discussion we were having here. This is an article. When is cheese not cheese? A woman, uh, Kate Bernat. And she discusses the question of uh, what is real cheese and what is the imitation cheese and the cheese blends. So she said, uh, you know, some people will actually want a cheese blend because the creation of this cheese blend is what helps the thing melt well. Real cheese... Doesn't melt down well. It just—it's a blob. It stays there and it doesn't really mix into the food. If you're having a on the top of a pizza, of course, uh, or whether they make potato or this, it's hard to mix the cheese inside. Cheese really doesn't go in. In fact, in halacha, it's so interesting how it says that very little of the cheese will get absorbed into the food that it's cooking with. In halacha, it mentions that, and therefore. It's, you don't aser as much, it doesn't make it trafe as much, it may only go down in certain situations, whereas regular food would merge. Here, cheese doesn't go in that much. Very, very interesting uh, in, in halakha. But over here, we're talking about is this cheese or is it not cheese? So there are people who would like to have uh, a cheese that melts well on top of a, a piece of uh, a bagel or on top of a piece of uh, bread, or something of that nature, they'd like it to, to melt nice. So uh, real cheese won't do that well. And that's why this cheese blend is really what people probably want uh, if they want a, cheese sub- a, a pizza substitute. Now, pizza doesn't actually get... Abs- the, the cheese does not get absorbed into the pizza at all. It stays on the top. So it doesn't really need to be absorbed inside. But you'd like a nice melt. And the melt works well if it's a cheese blend. It works, it's a little bit uh, thicker, much thicker if it's, un, if it's not a cheese blend. In any event, uh, we're going to compare the two. Uh, are, are, are these products actually cheese? This woman asks. Yeah, he said, she says yes. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration is responsible for defining cheese and cheese products and uh they have standards for cheese and for cheese foods and the basic difference between the cheese and the cheese foods which we'll call as a blends is what binds them together it's the emulsifiers which this thing does have a lot of that stuff in there emulsifiers are molecules which help the uh the, the bl- to bind the oil and the water To uh, the different foods. So, with with the names of some of them, we mentioned some of them already, uh, they're responsible for binding disparate parts of a cheese product together to create a stable, smooth consistency. You'll find them in ice cream and processed meats like hot dogs and bologna, and it makes things stay together well. And it works over here well with the cheese blend. Regular cheese doesn't contain emulsifiers to bind the fats and the water together. So when you heat them, those cheeses begin to separate into oils, water, and solids. It's not very appetizing, but uh, the cheese blend was created by Kraft years ago, and it's a uh, it's a you know pasteurized processed cheese. It's it's not a regular cheese. It's a like they say a cheese blend. Um, the the emulsifier is what does it all. The manufacturers can use more additives, such as anti-sticking agent, in pasteurized processed cheese food. That's the real word. It's, American cheese is not cheese. It's a it's a, pros, it's a pasteurized processed cheese food. That's what American cheese is. Not, not real cheese. Uh, people like it. And it's cheaper, but it really is not a real cheese. That's what the, this whole issue is about. Now, in making this pasteurized processed cheese food, you, you can mix in uh, these anti sticking agents and other additives up till this shouldn't be, there has to be not less than 51% of the cheese, uh, the cheese ingredients, the actual cheese ingredients, has to be 51% of the total percentage by weight. Pasteurized processed cheese spread is similar in terms of composition, but must remain spreadable at room temperature. Natural cheese is like the name. Natural ingredients, milk, salt, enzymes to make it, or cultures, and sometimes natural coloring. But processed cheese starts with that cheese and then adds emulsifiers, not enzymes, emulsifiers, preservatives, salt, etc., and that's the difference that you have over here. So the woman is coming now, and she's challenging this company, claiming that this food, which is kosher certified, dairy, not chalab uh it's a, it, it, it's a product that she feels is misrepresenting itself as using actual mozzarella cheese, when instead it's only a cheese blend, which they did admit it on the, on the, on the label, but the imp- impact of what they say on the front is very misleading, according to her. By the way, I'm seeing this more and more where products could be parva and say nacho cheese on the label. It's, I have a product. It's totally parva. It's OU parva. I actually went to them and I asked them. this: uh, The pig out. I, th- I think I told you about last week. I've not tell you there's a company called Pig Out. And they make... Uh, Porkless uh, the pork rinds under the OU, and we checked it out. And yes, the, even the natural flavor, uh, the natural being, you know, natural cheese, the natural flavor is actually parva, OU parva. So, yes, this is what's going on in the labeling, and the question is if it's legitimate, if it's misleading. And for me, personally, what I find interesting is here a major company is being sued by this woman. I don't know if she's going to win. But it always, it opens up my mind. I always say the same thing. If somebody would sue a company for not being kosher, for misrepresenting itself as kosher, if they were sued, and if the cashier's agency was also sued for not protecting us for, for, the, for this product being not kosher, I think everything would change in the market. I think we'd have almost no mislabelings going on anymore. But, but uh, if somebody has to be brave enough to step up to the plate, to challenge the system that exists, and to say, we don't want this. We want kosher that's really kosher. And uh, misrepresentations, if, they, if it's a question of cheese, and not, not real cheese, that's really interesting. But I think it would be more interesting if we say, it says kosher, it says kosher certified, and it's not kosher. And we see this, There was recalled, because uh, it, was, it was mislabeled, and we, we, want, uh, we want to sue. And if people did sue, I think uh, the whole situation would change in the world today, not just in America, in the whole world, the amount of mislabeling, I mean, the sloppy work we saw that happened at Pesach this year with a number of companies distributing products that were not kashula Pesach to people, and uh, it, the mistakes go on. They continually go on. I I think it's really behooves all of us to, to uh, think about it. If you have uh, been hurt. I mean, I know one person who sued a company uh, didn't make much money, but I'm sure the company got the message uh, very loud and clear. You know, you can't get away with uh, portraying something as kosher when it's not kosher. In any event, I wish all of everybody should have a lichtigen yomtev, a a, 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 a yomtev of much Torah and simcha, and uh, this should be the end of all the Tzaros and Klai Yisrael, and until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. You could reach us at 718-336-8544, 732-534-9363, or Kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. Until the next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, wishing you a wonderful week and a beautiful Yom Tov of Shavuos.